You're listening to Fertile Minds Radio, and I'm your host, Hilary Rowland. Fertile Minds Radio is your place to learn how to maximize your fertility as well as your partners. We cover the physical, emotional, and spiritual aspects of a fertility journey. You'll find tools to help you feel empowered and confident as you move from infertility to pregnancy to parenthood. If you're looking for holistic wisdom and a plan to help you reclaim your wellness, to help you create a healthy family for generations to come, you're in the right place. This is Fertile Minds Radio. Welcome to Fertile Minds Radio. I'm your host, Hilary talbot Roland, and today we are talking about a very important topic. There is an alarmingly high maternal mortality rate, uh, specifically for the women of color in the United States. It is actually 40 deaths per 100,000. Uh, In comparison, white women only experience 12.4 deaths in birth to 100,000. This is on par with what women in developing nations actually experience. So my question today is why is this happening in one of the wealthiest countries in the planet? And why is no one talking about it? Or when we do talk about it, it seems to just kind of like get buried in a news cycle. So I have invited my friend, Zul, uh, midwife extraordinaire, among other things, to come on the show and really give us her opinions about what she sees in the landscape of birth and what she's observed over the last 10 to 15 years. So welcome to the show, Zul. I'm so excited to have you. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here and I'm really excited to be here. Awesome. So can you tell our audience, because some of them won't know you, um, what a little bit about your journey and like how you came to be a midwife. And um, because I think that that's always a a calling. It's not usually something that is decided on a whim, right? (laughs) Yes. You don't wake up in the morning and you're like, yes, I just want to be on call every day. (laughs) Yeah, midwife. I mean, some people do. Some people do. Um, My name is Sul, Z-U-L, Sul Hale. Well, it's Sul Hale Ruiz and everyone call me Sul. I'm from Puerto Rico, and I moved to United States around 15 years ago. I was first in Los Angeles, and when I was in just Los Angeles, um, I do have to say because this topic is very dear to me. Um, I really fell in love with learning about the Black community, the African American community, because even though that. A lot of us come from what we call the African diaspora. We all have different cultures, different geographic areas, and different um, different backgrounds, different stories. So, and this is one of them. If we look at the data, even the numbers with the Hispanic community are lower than what is happening with the Black African-American community. So I fell in love with the African-American community, learned, I was in Los Angeles. I also lived with an indigenous uh, midwife in Mexico. And that's how I fell in love with midwifery. And, and through my birth experience, I had a birth experience that that I, I don't wish it upon anyone, but it opened my heart and my eyes to say, it's no way that this is how we all come to the world. Um, now I have uh, my practice. I do home birth. I also have an easy access clinic, which I want to share a little bit later on about why is in existence and what and what I, we do there. Um, 
And yeah, so right now I do home births, I do prenatal care and postpartum care, and I'm located in St. Petersburg, Florida. Okay. Well, we are certainly as a community lucky to have you. And I know this is a conversation we've had come up again over and over over the few years that we've known each other about like, why is there such disparity and difference? And I'm so glad that you are offering an easy access clinic because at a time when women's healthcare rights are really severely threatened, I feel like there's a lot of women, regardless of what color your skin is or what your socioeconomic background is, that feel threatened and a lot of stress to go to a traditional doctor. So your clinic is awesome. (laughs) And midwifery, especially because I can't think of a a better way to go through your pregnancy than having your providers come to your home. And I feel like that is so overlooked for a lot of people because we have been socialized in the U.S. to think of a hospital as like they just know better than us, right? And that's the safe place to be. And from the statistics that I've looked at, that is not necessarily the case (laughs) at all. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think, Hilary, that 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 you mentioned right there came to light during COVID, Mm -hmm. during the pandemic, about how uh, home birth, midwives, birth centers, the statistics like the rates went up because there were so many people that really didn't want to go to the hospital and be and be wait be in an emergency room or waiting next to someone that was severely ill when pregnancy is is not an illness. Right. Yeah. No. We've completely medicalized uh, yeah. fertility, pregnancy, birth, and even menopause. Right. Like we and it's they are the biggest money makers for these hospitals. So like I think that these are really important questions and. And conversations that we all have, even if you're not in the medical field, because if we like women are most of the population, we are the life bringers. And like, why aren't we more upset about this? Like, why aren't we having more conversation about it? Um, It's just kind of baffling to me. And especially like in the beginning of the pandemic, you know, in New York, when they were like making women birth alone, (laughs) Like you couldn't even have your partner in the room. Like I sat in this office and cried for days because I would just felt like helpless for those women. Like what that, I mean, and thankfully that didn't last too long, but it took women like picketing in the streets to actually bring light to that, that that was happening. Absolutely. To the point that they allowed. So in New York, you cannot have the CPM license. They have a different license and they actually have to take a break and open it to midwives because they're like, we need help. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I didn't do you. So in my mind, I like the pandemic was great because it opened people's minds to actual care of midwifery and that that wasn't maybe an option that they should start discussing. But at the same time, I wonder like, how men, how much of a shortage it created of midwives. Like, and you teach, right? You teach people to become midwives. I do, I do. So yes, and you're absolutely correct. Um, so literally, I wanna say that it happened overnight. That in a month, you know, I went from maybe having one person to having to having seven that wanted to be with me in the same month, the same thing with birth centers. Like until now, we're all like pretty full, pretty busy. And yeah, yeah, is 
it created, I want to say, yes, a shortage, but actually like awareness and a lot of people that never considered themselves or consider uh, the midwifery profession as a profession. And that is actually even more real in the Black community. So, so many people as a professor, like you say, it's beautiful to see like the program that I work with went from 12 people to 90 in months. Oh my God, I have like full body goosebumps. That's so amazing. Yeah. And from those 90, I want to say that 35% or 40% was, uh, they were uh, women of color. And from that, I want to say 30, 30% were uh, African-American Black women that wanted um to be midwives and that are still there and we still see the enrollment and see what we're talking about. They're like, they're not black midwives in my community. It's only one hospital. We don't feel safe at the hospital. So it's going back to say, okay, let's bring something that was already part of our community. Let's bring it back. And that was due to the pandemic. That's amazing. I mean, I love finding silver linings and things. I feel like that's my specialty, but that's one that I never thought about. Like, that is absolutely a, a huge solution to this. I mean, I don't even want to call it a problem because it's worse than that. <laughs> like a crisis, we call yeah. it a crisis, yeah. Yeah, is to just involve more women of color and like becoming a midwife. Like, what would you say if someone is like, maybe has had that inkling? Because I feel like it comes to you a couple of times, but then your mind is sort of like, I can't do that. Like that, I can't be away from my family or my kids. Like, what would you tell somebody that's like considering becoming a midwife? So, you know, Hilary, that's a great question. I, I actually going to answer this for both for someone that is that wants to become a midwife and for the community that want to research and know more about midwives okay. to figure out is that if they care for me. So First, as what the midwifery model offer and support, we start with um, pregnancy is not an illness. Now, they can be complications that arise during a pregnancy, absolutely, but it's not an illness. So therefore, the type of care is different. The type of connection is different when you're with a midwife. So for the community that is looking for that home birth is not for everyone, right? They are, they are certain, um, we do a risk assessment. It has to be someone that is low risk. And so if you have already a pre-existing condition, it's not that that going, is going to risk you out, but we look at all of that, right? We want to make sure that that uh, mother pregnant person that come to us is safe in that environment, that that baby that is being born is being born in the right place. Right. Um, so I want to say, talk to someone, figure it out, like, like get to know who is in your community that offered that service to see if he's the right care for you. Now, for people that want to become midwives, I think it's a beautiful profession. It is very demanding because it's not that many of us, we need more so that we could do this work together, right? So if it's only one of me, I have to be on call every day because we don't have shifts like at the hospital. We don't have nurses. We are equipped to work again in a low risk setting outside of the hospital. The less that we have is a big responsibility for for each, you know, for, for all of us, for a midwife. So it is demanding. I do think that there are different ways to do it. 
You know, you can work in a birth center and open the birth center in your community and have a team of different people. And when you work as a team, is absolutely more sustainable. That's a big conversation in our community, sustainability, because a lot of us retire early, but there are ways to do it. There are also different kinds of models. Not everyone needs a home birth, but definitely I have to say that everyone benefits from the midwifery model. So call a midwife in your area, call any of the schools. We have so many resources. Ismana, the Midwives Association of North America. There are several schools in each state because midwifery is regulated per state. There are still states in United States, 13, if I'm not mistaken, that are not um, regulated or licensed, but mm -hmm. still you're going to find a midwife in your community. So ask her, talk to her, see how is your life? How many clients do you see? What is sustainable for you? Right. And then figure it out if that's something for you or maybe it may be something for you that you're going to do a little bit later when your children are a little bit older, when you're like, okay, now I'm ready to be of service in that way. Yeah, I mean, you bring up so many like beautiful points. I remember one of my mentors, Dr. Aviva Ram, who a lot of people know, you know, she was an herbalist and a midwife for, I think like 25 years before she went to Yale Medical, but a large number of those years, she was living in the South and she kind of, you know, says like, yeah, I was practicing illegally as a midwife because mm -hmm. it just wasn't regulated, but there was, there was a need for it. I mean, as long as there's humans on a planet, there's going to be a need for it. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it is a very demanding, um, job. Like, I think I did doula work for two years while I was an acupuncturist in the beginning, like well before we even knew each other. Mm -hmm. And I gave it up, not because I didn't love it. I, it, it was hands down, probably the best being at a birth is like the best thing I've ever done, but it is demanding to be on call every day of your life and then also have other responsibilities. So would you recommend that somebody maybe become a doula first if they're interested in that? Cause that's sort of what you did, right? Yeah, yeah, I think a doula is a good way, absolutely, so that you get a taste of what is being on call, so that you get a taste of what is support a person during that process emotionally. That's not also for everyone, but it's beautiful because when it's for you, it's like, whoa, you find your space in like in yourself in that space where like, I want to do this again. I want to do it for a friend or a neighbor. So yeah, definitely I want to say like being a doula or even taking a doula course is a beautiful introduction to what midwifery can be. Um, definitely, Hilary, I think that's... Mm. Do you think that that was healing for your first birth experience to go on in service in this way? Absolutely. It, it really was. I remember being in a workshop and we needed to look at our bias and why we became midwives, right? And it's interesting because the bias or or the reasons, right, that may be not the, the best reasons to become a midwife is the same both ways. So in my case, I had a cesarean. I had a very traumatic experience. So I didn't want that. I, I'm like, what can I do so that no one ever feel like I felt? Um, but then in the other hand, you have the people that have this wonderful Zen experience with a midwife and they're like, oh, because I had a beautiful birth, then home birth is for everyone. And those are the two extremes. Right. And that was the first time when I was in that workshop that I had to think, really think, um, 
am I here because of my experience, right? And I want to say at the beginning, yes. And at the beginning, it was healing. It was healing because I felt that I was protecting. I'm like, this is one less person, you know, that is not going through this. But through the years, it changed, you know, through the years, I think it just opened my eyes to say, we just all deserve the option. We all deserve knowledge. We all deserve to know what are the options in my community? What is the type of care I would like to have? Right. And like, that's such an important piece that you bring up that I feel like as humans, we don't do nearly enough because it's uncomfortable and it brings up shame, but like looking at our own bias, right? Mm. So I remember before I even saw a birth, I was very biased to thinking that everybody should just birth at home. My first birth ended up being twins where I was allowed to scrub in in the OR and stand behind the the OB and catch the babies. And the first one came out too fast. I had never seen a a, a baby, but it was the wrong color. I was certain of that. And the NICU like descended upon this little tiny baby and saved it. And then the second one came out cord wrapped around the neck and there was no signs of fetal distress in the monitoring the entire day that we were in the hospital. And it was amazing. And I also went home and projectile vomited because, (laughs) oh my God, like there is a time and a place for different births, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and something that we talk about that is really beautiful and you, and it's beautiful, but like you say, it's very intense. Um, and actually the Mexican culture embraces and portray really beautiful birth is a moment in time where life and death coexist together. Yeah. So yeah. Like that, what you describe is like that, like those emotions that you were seeing, like, and you were holding, cause you're recognizing that anyone in that space will recognize that. Especially, I think the difference is that at home is unmedicated birth. So I think it's a little bit more raw. You see all the stages of a human being at first, maybe being scared, maybe being in pain, then going through the portal of pain, right? Because I had a mentor, my mentor in Mexico, she always described the pain of childbirth as a noble pain, as a kind pain. In Spanish, it will be un dolor noble. So noble will mean, you know, noble, kind. You know, if you break an arm tomorrow and you have to go to the hospital, that pain is not going to stop. Right. But the pain of childbirth, which is pain, is work, is work. Um, it serve a purpose, serve a purpose, right? So you're going to see progress, something beautiful and something better is gonna come out of that. But it also is going to give you a break for you to think and put yourself together, right? So that's what you say is a noble pain. You feel it and then it stops. And it's true. When you're going through that, you don't feel anything. You go, you have maybe five minutes, three minutes that you feel normal. And then it's like a wave that comes again. So it's a gentle pain if you choose to, to see it like that. And Deepak Chopra, he have a book where he described the difference when you're in labor of being able to recognize the difference between pain and suffering. Mm right? Pain is is physical, suffering is mental, Mm -hmm. right? It's never going to end, right? Yes, yes, that's suffering. Yeah, so when I'm in that space, you know, and you're there and you're able to recognize that that's when you can support someone because you're able to say, okay, you have two options. 
I tell my moms, when you have that break, you can take that time to say, oh my God, oh my God, the next contraction is coming. Oh my God, it's going to hurt so much. Or you can take that space to breathe, to put yourself together, to be present, to ground yourself and know that it is okay that you can do this again until you get to meet your baby. Yeah. I mean, that's wild. They've done so many studies about stressors and they've noticed that there isn't a good stress and a bad stress. There's actually the only thing that makes it biochemically show up as a negative stress in somebody's body is their the person's perception of time. Like you just being like, no, be in the present moment. And like, there's no pain right now for the next minute or five minutes or however long you're graced with. Because the brain doesn't know the difference when we think, when we anticipate pain, it experiences it, right? Yes. <laughs> yes, actually. Ah, <laughs> oh, yeah. So- I, I, a lot of what I wanted to talk to you about today was like C-section rates. And I, one of the questions that I did, like, didn't prepare you. So I don't know if you know this number, um, but like, what is the statistic on the number of people that enter into a home birth or like a birthing center, but end up in a section? So I don't have the statistics with me, which we do the MANA, you know, the Midwifery Association of Midwife or North America, we do them. So I don't have them in front of me. I can say that we each provider have them, but they're significantly lower. Yeah. Than- and I think people don't understand how high the rates of section are in the United States. So for a good stat to kind of, I feel like that encompasses all of this is... Mm-hmm. Um, the World Health Organization basically said that anything over 10% of C-sections was not associated with positive reductions in maternal and, and newborn health issues, including death. But the United States is at one in three, we're at 33%. Mm-hmm. And some states, depending on what hospital door you walk through, it's up to 70% in certain hospitals. And so when people tell me like, well, isn't home birth not safe? Like I think about like right away, the reduction in the amount of C-sections that we're going to have is going to be vast compared to that 70 and even compared to that 30, I would think, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You're right. And one thing I can tell you, which is something that a factor that unfortunately depend on the provider that you're working at the hospital is going to affect something that a lot of people, you know, if you don't, if you don't educate yourself that people do not know is, is this is something called an estimated due date, mm-hmm. right? So a lot of people think that, okay, um, my due date is this day. Those are 40 weeks. That doesn't mean that your body is going to, is is bound to go that day. And that if it doesn't go that day, something wrong with you. So a lot of the things that I see, and I see here are inductions. Mm. So when your body is not ready for an induction, and I see it a lot, Hillary, a lot. Um, if your body's not ready for an induction, which it shouldn't be, why? Right? That is is a cocktail of hormones that are going to work together to create that uh, to create what is labor. Um, so we see, unfortunately, a lot of people, and we hear like, "Oh, my doctor once says that I need to get induced at thirty nine weeks, at forty weeks, even at forty one weeks." Hillary, like in our city by the pandemic everyone was getting induced at 41 week. 
Oh yeah. I mean, so it, it used to be, I noticed with all my patients that it was, you know, they kind of rode that line of like the AMA standard and the state of Florida was like 41 weeks and four days and anything after that, you were liable to get sued. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you're right. The pandemic sped it up. And then I also wonder if this is my bias working with so many IVF women, I see that that is getting inched back further and further since the pandemic, where it's like 37 weeks that they're inducing moms at. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, depend on the provider that you're working, they would say like, oh, um, you are, uh, you're, you're older, um, you, um, and he's, just to say a few, I mean, it's so many things that I hear, um, but you are completely right. And I want to say that alone is a huge factor because if your body's not ready, it's nothing wrong with your body. But if your body is not ready, your baby's not ready to be born and an induction happen, I want to say you may have 50% that, that you end up in a cesarean. And I mean, and I'm throwing this number, I do want to the disclaimer, this is based in what I see. When you go to the hospital, this is not the number they're going to give you, right? So I cannot, right? I do want to say that. Um, but yeah, yeah. And now you have a labor that is not starting in a regular pattern. Yeah, so- no, I, mean, I, I, I see similar. Like, I don't think you're wrong. And I, I would say most of my moms, more than more than half, that get induced early, like especially around that like 37, 38 week mark, end up in a section. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's like a moment of joy for me when I get a, a text or a call that says like, no, we, we actually made it all the way through. I feel like that's just really rare. Um, and I don't think that women are told this. And I think that there's a lot of fear that they're fed about doing that. Um, you know, and I... I know that with advanced maternal age, there can be, and I can't remember the the name of it. I've I've actually gotten to feel it once in the placenta where there's those pockets that harden, right? Mm-hmm. And so the, the idea is all the nutrients the baby, but we don't we can't really measure that by the time we see growth go down. Yeah, I mean, and you can get an ultrasound. The ultrasound is going to tell you because the placenta have different grades, but. By statistics, that start happening after 42 and 43 weeks. The majority of the states will will legally, you have the right to be pregnant until 42 weeks. And in many states, if you, including here, if you request, hey, I don't want to be induced at 42 weeks, you should have the right to still be pregnant a few days later. But at least legally in Florida and in several states, it is by law a right for you to carry your pregnancy up to, up to 42 weeks. And Hillary, that is one of the factors that allow me to provide the care that I provide. And is I don't only provide home birth. I provide care for people that want to have the baby at the hospital. And one of the reasons why I see so many people that come to me is like, I want to have my basic rights respected. So at least with me, I am going to respect that they go to 42 weeks. Of course, within everything, everything is okay. I'm going to follow the protocol of the things that we need to check and ensure that your baby's okay. But yeah, even something as simple makes a whole difference for a lot of people when you're receiving midwifery care. And not that a doctor cannot follow a midwifery model. It's a model. Right. 
It is a business model. The business model. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one question that I will get that I, I think is like sort of a misnomer or myth that I would love for you to clear up because I know that you've been in transfers before. Yeah. And I think this kind of comes back to like the women that are, well, my doctor says I have to do it. And there's like this element of like people pleasing, like they know inside, yes. like as women, I think we are conditioned to be people pleasers. And it's like, they know that it's not just them that maybe isn't ready, but the baby isn't ready. Right. Like, absolutely. Um, but then they'll say, well, if I have a, if I go for a home birth, it's like, they're afraid of letting everybody around them down. And then I have to get transferred to a hospital. How am I going to be treated? Mm-hmm. And the couple transfers that I've been on, people were treated very well, right? Mm-hmm. What is your experience in that? Is that always the case? Not the case? Is it a fortune of my skin color? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm being serious, right? That's a good question. So I want to say it's a little bit of everything. So I do have to say it is unfortunately, um, depend of the state that you are, it can be hostility where the doctors and the and the personnel at the at the hospital, they don't have a lot of knowledge about home birth or even about the legalities of home birth. And they, yeah, it can be a very hostile welcoming. Depend of the state, depend of the hospital. I do have to say to to be compassionate and to be um fair with, uh, I want to say, my colleagues at the hospital, because we're all here, right, in the same field. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you go to the hospital and you're transferring is because somehow what we were doing at home didn't work. Mm-hmm. It may not be an emergency. It may not be an emergency, but now is the time to be in a different place, right? So how they see it is, well, I don't know this person. You guys chose a route of care and now you're coming with me with a train wreck or they assume that is a train wreck. Um, you know what? That's valid. That's valid, yeah. right? Or let's say that now we were at home for two days and for X reason, we're transferring and clearly we're going to need a cesarean. Doctors have statistics. I have them too. We all have our statistics. So if I'm two days with someone at home, but I take the person to the hospital and now this person ends up in a cesarean, it's going to be in the statistics of the doctors. Oh, right. So it's like a statistics game of not wanting that to go against you. Yeah, yeah. By fault of your own, basically. Absolutely. That baby probably would have ended up in a section anyways. Exactly, exactly. So I want to say through the years, my heart as a as a person, as a midwife, um, have opened up a lot to the personnel at the hospital to understand where certain things coming from. Now, unfortunately, also all of that feeling like that and feeling, oh my God, now this is, you know, is a home birth. It's going to be a disaster with what I have to deal with. Sometimes it's not, really, sometimes it's not. But I think what takes us there and the gap that needs to be bridged is the lack of collaboration. The lack of, of recognizing we're here together. So I do have to say that a lot more and more, and especially midwives, we don't stop. We believe in collaboration. We want collaboration. And if we both collaborate, imagine, imagine the world that we will live so that everyone get the support that they need. Um, 
here locally in Tampa, we have a hospital where the midwives there and that hospital actually host meetings where we meet every four months. The personnel at the hospital, the midwives are the hospitals and the community midwives. And we talk about everything, how we can help each other, how we can support each other. What are the new protocols? What will they appreciate that we do differently? When we do a transfer, they gave us a cheat and a form. And they were like, if you please, if you can fill this out or have this information, this will be great, right? If you can have your records ready when you come, right? Yeah. So that's amazing. In Washington, in Seattle, they created a program that is called Smooth Transitions. Mm-hmm. And it's a whole program that any hospital can learn, can take the classes and the course and learn any midwife. So it is a system created for that because everyone recognized that, yeah, it may be difficult to suddenly have to be like, okay, what happened here? But when we both recognize that we're working together, I want to say then it runs smoothly. That's awesome. And I, I think I know which hospital you're talking about, if I had to guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, a teaching hospital, right? Yes. (laughs) Yes. 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 Which, which does give me some hope because I feel like at least new doctors that are coming out and through this teaching hospital will then be able to take that same model and like go into wherever they end up delivering at. Right. That is my hope. The person that created that opened the door actually was the midwifery department at the hospital. (laughs) So it is my hope that when the students go through their midwife, the midwifery department round, yeah, they see this and they acknowledge it and welcome it. Um, and that that is that's what's going to be their normal. So, gosh, this is like a, such a loaded question that I want to ask, but like around, you know, I'm sure, you know, Dr. Neil Shaw, that's done a lot of the studies on cesarean rates. He's in, um, I think he's Harvard trained and works in UMass and has kind of pointed out this whole, I think he actually did like a consumer report on like where you can look up your C-section rate of your hospital and showing that it was so high and that it was very hospital dependent, right? Like their business model, or I should say really like their business liability model was indicative or their staffing of driving those rates up. Um, And then we also hear all the time in terms of like the race conversation that it is very, um, has a lot to do with what zip codes you're born into. Do you think that that actually coincides too with these high rates in in hospitals of C-section? And Hillary, it is so sad, but I want to say yes. I want to say yes. So we have in the city that we live, it is a big, what I will call segregation and racism. And I don't transfer to our local hospital. Mm-hmm. And I, I can tell you that, yes, that every time I transfer, my black clients most likely are going to get a harsher treatment. Something that we see is that we've seen it many times. You go in with a black mom and they're going to assume she's not married, right? They're going to question that or they're going to question certain things or something that I see is that they're not going to ask and they're going to run a drug test. Um, Absolutely. Um, Just recently, uh, it, it was, and it, you know, I don't want to make this too sad, but just recently is a story that just happened in Los Angeles where uh, young Black women went to with her partner to the hospital. She was complaining 
of the, of the pain that she have pain that she couldn't feel certain you know parts of her the, her body um and in that particular hospital and i live in that area in la is the black area in in la is inglewood um they actually didn't this is in los angeles in los angeles where you have now the forum where you have so much wealth in the black in the hospital, in the Black neighborhood, do not even have a doctor that is there 24 hours. So the nurses decided that they were not going to call the doctor to do not bother her because she was going to get angry. And this is someone, if I'm not mistaken, she was 23, 24. She died. Her partner had to give her resuscitation and they have to do a cesarean in the hall of the hospital. This happened a few months ago. So when you look at that, you go, wow, will this have happened in Cedar sinai in the hospital Beverly Hills? No, not really. Will that happen in Santa Monica? No, absolutely not. You know, and the same here. You look at here. Do I go to Tampa and cross the bridge? The services are going to be different. Do Are we here? I think, you know, when you look at your practice, a lot of the, the people that have a great experience in our local hospital, I bet you that they're going to have a private doctor, that is there with them, that they know that the doctor is going to get there because if they relied in that particular personal, the experience is going to be completely different. So yeah, let alone when we go with Hispanic people, they don't even get them a translator. I went with now uh, with a family from Afghanistan and I don't even do, I, I don't, you know, I don't do births at the hospital. It's not my scope of practice, but I had to stay because for three hours we were requesting that they bought a translator for these poor women that was in pain, crying, and no one could figure out what was happening because for them is like, it's not a basic right to be understood or to be able to communicate. Through what should be like one of the best days of your life, right? You know, people are always surprised when I ask them about if they knew anything about their birth with their mother, you know, and, and they're like, why would I ask that? And I, I'm like, well, trauma, like, did you come in with trauma? Right. Like, and, you know, as trauma is becoming more of a, like a, a word that we use in our basic language, right. It's not just in, even the, the concept of like big T's and little T's. Right. But no one's talking about the fact that the moment that you enter this world could be a big trauma, not just for you, but for your mother who is now supposed to take care of you. And maybe if she has had a C-section, now she's got 36, 48 hours maybe where she's booted out home with you, where they cut through every single piece of the abdominal wall. It's a major surgery. Like I think about like having had a hysterectomy and I like didn't even come through the skin, right? Like I couldn't have taken care of a baby in the next two days. Mm -hmm. I don't know how they do it. Right. But no one's talking about like the real preventative health is like the health of a woman before she's pregnant during pregnancy. And then like in that actual room during birth and like to hear you tell these stories, like I know that they're real, but then also to hear them from somebody that I know is on the front lines and sees these things happen. Like I, I, I don't have words because I don't know what to do. <laughs> right. It's sad. It's sad. And, you know, the more the more that that I do it, uh, Hillary, sometimes it, get, it gets complicated because 
you have a lot of good people at the hospital. You have a lot of wonderful nurses. You have a lot of wonderful doctors. You know, talking about a transfer, let me tell you about another story. I went to a transfer and I was doing a backup for a midwife. And it was a, a Hispanic family in Puerto Rican. They were a Puerto Rican family. And we went to the hospital and um, we got there around 3 a.m. She had some retained uh, placenta that we couldn't take out. It was part of like the sack. It was like something that you don't see normally. Mm -hmm. And and the doctor came. We At the end of the night, we have like three doctors. And they were so amazing, so amazing, so loving, so supportive. And but I could see the struggle of a lot of they were trying to help us because her case was a little bit different. Um, and they were the way that they were helping us, you could see that in it is a system. The hospital is a system that is not designed to bring someone that is not sick. Right. So a lot of the times, and this is what I'm seeing more and more, because now that I'm working more with the hospital, I really try to say, let's, you know, how can we speak the same language, right? Let me not make your day more difficult. Let me not come from, right, from, like you say, like, we're like, we don't want to talk about it, but we know this is happening, right? So let's not just come from the place of like, okay, this is going to be horrible. Let's, you know, like I was talking the other day with someone and I love, love, love this phrase of that it's a, in a world where you can be anything, be kind. Yeah. And, and I love that. And I decided a few years ago that I was going to adopt that, that I was going to adopt that. And that every time I went to the hospital, I was going to say, thank you. If I could give a hug to someone, if I could say, hey, what can I do differently next time? And that have opened a lot of doors for me, which have also made me see that, you know, Hillary, is, is the conversation is hard because it's bigger than us and it's bigger than them mm -hmm. as a system. You right. know, and the, yeah. And that's that's when I guess the conversation get a little bit complicated. You know, when you have in any in any particular now now a bed with 20 people on labor, you know, but you only have six nurses or you only have four. Yeah, no, I mean, you bring up valid points like we're all human, right? No matter where you choose to work in the in the field of birth, we are all humans and we all got into it because the end of the day, the sanctity of life was something that changed us, right? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, mm -hmm. you know, absolutely. But the system, right? It's like, awesome. I, yeah, I, I think that at the end of the day, what I've seen after the last few years is the system, where where you have a whole system that is working, and that's why I come with my families when I have people that are like, "Well, what do you do?" Because I'm too scared to go to the hospital. I'm too scared to have a baby at home, or my husband doesn't want me to have a, a baby at home, or my mom, or my grandma, or my auntie, or the neighbor doesn't have to. I said, "That's okay," but do you know what you're choosing and why? Which is perfectly fine, right? It's like these are your options, and this is why there are certain protocols. Um, so that's where we come then to the education of knowing why you're choosing and why certain choices are going to happen in a certain way, because it is a system. And now then coming back to this show that we're doing today, the midwifery model and the medical hospital are two completely different systems. Yeah. And I think that that's sort of like the danger of being so big, right? Like. Yeah. 
especially as hospitals go into these huge conglomerates that are run by business people and no longer run by physicians or ex-physicians or nurses, when you are like so removed from what actually happens in the treatment room, like you, you end up taking the kindness and the humanity out of it. And it sort of is about like profitability and liability. And I feel like I get it. Like we live in a capital, uh, you know, a capitalist society, but like, I just don't understand why that has to like rule birth. <laughs> like it, it, I feel like it would change so many things if we took that out of the equation. And I appreciate you being so honest about like what you do see, because I understand that my experiences in a, a hospital setting as a service provider around birth are probably different because of the privilege of my my skin color. And I don't want to like pretend that that's not true. <laughs> yeah. um, I can't imagine what it's like, not only to give birth in a hospital as a woman of color, but really more so, I guess, if that were me, my fear would be around if something was wrong after the going back to the hospital. And that's where we see so many women needlessly die right? <laughs> Absolutely. Either they are not heard, they don't feel supported. And that's one of the biggest reasons and the things that we're saying. I think that if people uh, are familiar, and I don't know if you are too with the experience that Serena Williams, Serena Williams, women that have wealth, that have a name, that have represented her country, um, and the same thing, if you see her documentary, she did a whole article about that, that they, she didn't feel like she was believed when she was saying how she was feeling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and then that's one of the reasons Hillary, where a lot of people don't even go back because they're scared. They may feel a pain or they may feel that something is off, but they're not going to wait. They're going to wait until they absolutely have to, which by then it may be a complication because they're so scared to go back to that place where they felt that you're not working with me yeah. or it doesn't feel that way. Are you are you referring to the autoimmune, the Sjogren's that she has like in trying to get diagnosed or was there something that happened in her birth? In her birth and postpartum. Yeah, like she was she was expressing like how she felt, how she felt. And for them to find out like that she had that, it took the husband, it took a few people to say, no, wait a minute, like is something wrong? And they show like the whole scene. And then they did an article about that where, you know, even her like if if her if she didn't say, I know my body and something is wrong, and her husband said, please, you need to come and check her it would, this story would have looked very different. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, you, you get tired of being dismissed. Like it, yeah. you get tired of being told that it's in your head. Right. And that happens across the board to women in medicine, <laughs> whether we're talking about pregnancy or not. I mean, like autoimmunity, like I, I've been through those same frustrations and then, but what I think what ends up happening is you end up trying to take matters into your own hands because you're like, I just don't have the energy to fight you. And so I'll just try and fix it myself. And I think it's also socialized for women in the United States. Like, and this is different depending on what ethnicity you come from, but 
we typically don't have people come stay with us and help us post-birth, right? Like mm -hmm. in Asian cultures, you have 40 days, the in-laws come live with you. Your only job is to, to nurse on demand, sleep, shower, repeat. And like in the US, it's like, we've just totally gotten rid of this idea of a village. And so at a time when somebody should be taking care of you, you're like, no, 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 I'm fine. Like this, I'll just make this pain go away on my own somehow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. like it's so it's yeah. so much bigger <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah it's like yeah like you were saying before never mind I just had a surgery I'm just gonna breastfeed my baby I'm gonna cook I'm gonna do all of it because it's expected even even here in America even like the work leave I mean someone is expected to go back sometimes at six weeks eight weeks ten weeks yeah, it's it's nuts to me. And it, it's crazy too that it's also like there's no paternal leave. There's yeah. no there's no help. Like yeah. you've just yeah. had surgery and you've had a baby. And like never mind the whole bonding experience and traumatic events for the baby of what that is not to have their father there. And I think a lot of it, like what you said in the beginning about like birth and death being kind of two sides of the same coin, right? <laughs> That is, that was very much my experience having been with people that have passed. It's, um, it's like time stops, but death isn't something that we want to talk about either. Right. Like, which I think is part of what makes this conversation hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're right. You're right. I think sometimes the people that need to make demands, they have a hard time having this conversation because you're pregnant. You are, you know, like going through a process where it should be a happy process. And it is, but it's also these conversations and when you need to demand something, yeah, sometimes it's, it's hard. Yeah. So mm -hmm. as as a midwife, right, where we've, we've discussed that there's states where this is like not even regulated and is somewhat illegal, but then in the states that it, that, that, that it is legal, like here in Florida, I feel like you are held to really, really high standards. Right. But then when I look at statistics like from the CDC and they should they point out that 60 percent of current maternal deaths in the U.S. are preventable. And I know the majority of those are happening in hospitals because the majority of births are happening in hospitals. Um, why are we not holding those institutions, not even just the doctor, but the institution, because as you've like very pointedly pointed out, it's the. It's the machine that they work for, not necessarily them as a human and what they want to do. Why are we not holding those institutions responsible the same way that we would hold a home midwife responsible? You have a good, good question. That's a really good question. And that is also a little bit of a complicated answer. But I want to say is a lot of legalities, insurances. You know, is people protecting themselves? So sometimes when something happens at the at the hospital, you know, they want to they don't want to be open to litigations because it's such a big system that if something is, if they're at fault, that's millions of dollars. So they rather, and I don't think this is only with a pregnancy, but they rather to protect the doctor, to to protect the provider, to change the provider to another hospital, do something internal that doesn't include changes of policy that to actually deal with the problem. But it is, yeah, it is a business. And I want to say between the hospitals and the insurances, they have created a very difficult um, environment. Now, we 
Personally, midwives, a lot of us, insurance do not cover us. So we don't charge for a doctor charge. Yeah, I think a lot of people are like taken aback when they figure out how much their hospital birth and their maternity care at an OB cost versus mm. what midwifery costs. And like the other day, someone said, but if I go with midwifery, I won't get all the ultrasounds. And I said, well, ACOG just reversed that. You get one unless you're high risk now. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. so you'll get your 20 week advanced ultrasound with a home midwife and they're like, well, what am I paying for? Mm -hmm. Like essentially you're paying for the insurance for that institution, right? Am I wrong in thinking? Yeah. 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 And these, you know, these have been brought up before, even with the cesarean, the cost of, uh, uh, natural birth versus the cost of a cesarean versus the cost of now calling an anesthesiologist because you want mm-hmm. an epidural. Yeah, Hillary. So it is um, is is a business situation. And then when, so here in America, in order for laws to change, the community have to be involved. Now, the other thing that, that, that a lot of people bring are lobbyists. So any for anything to be changed every time that something happened, you don't even want to know the lobbyists that the doctors bring or the insurance bring. I mean, just for us, for me, it was to pay from one lobbyist. That's a lot of money for us. So yeah, every time that a law, that anything is going to be changed, you're going to have a whole team of people that was brought by organizations or the doctors or of insurance companies. Yeah, no, I mean, lobbyists are, in my humble opinion, uh, having in a previous life worked for a drug company <laughs> and now as an acupuncturist, which I feel like is a very similar sect as midwives in terms of like mm-hmm. all our dues going to try and pay for just one lobbyist to a, a, like a whole team that these big conglomerates have. We we are creating bias from the start <laughs> by who, who we let in the ears, which brings me to another question that I would love your opinion on, because I know that some people have said, well, maybe we just need to change the laws if, you know, comparing country to country, like if you look at something like Great Britain and, and the US, they had similar horrific maternal fatality rates as we did in the 40s. And now they actually don't have any any of that. They they have virtually no deaths from preeclampsia and and help syndrome, things of that nature, which I think is because they've actually brought in more midwives. Am I wrong in that? Yeah, no, all Europe have midwives. Yeah. So that's why like is a documentary called The Business of Being Born. Um, and they talk about it like how United States stand alone there. Yeah. Um, with and and I've met people in New Zealand. Um Australia. So you have midwives that are working with this. So even like our training is very different and that's, and I make sure that, that the people that work with me know, and that's actually, thank God, you know, like why we transfer. So you have an obstetrician is a surgeon, mm-hmm. is a surgeon. So it's a lot of things that this person is trained to do or to look for or train at that is not necessarily a low risk pregnancy. So even that, like when you start, it's like like me trying to do acupuncture that I go and train as a midwife and then have just a few, you know, semester of acupuncture, my view is going to be completely different. Mm -hmm. Right. Yes. What you're looking for. Yeah. And I think people don't realize OBs are surgeons. Mm -hmm. And so that's their bias too, right? Like 
whether we like that or not, like our brain is a problem solver and it filters for what we know, right? <laughs> or what it wants we know. to be right. <laughs> Which is amazing, right? Because yeah. if we could create something, and, and again, I'm sure that is like holes in every system, right? But in a place like Europe and several countries in Europe, you get the midwives that are first with the families and then anything that is high risk or when the, a complication arises or when the care or the pregnancy changes, because now it need more attention than what the scope of practice of the midwives cover that's what is the beauty of collaborating like you and right. me right like I do so many times it's like or you I'm like okay um or or the chiropractors in the area someone can come oh my back hurt I can give you a few advices of how to help you know with like me to try to to relieve that pain but if I have an expert in my area why wouldn't you go and see that expert in my area right Right. So so that is the thing. But yeah, you're absolutely right. You have like um in England, they have midwives. Do you so do you think if we change the laws instead of like because in the US now the states, this is something that some OBs have like proposed as a way to fix some of these problems. Is like if the instead of letting the states decide how we hold the, the hospitals or the institutions accountable for the 60% of deaths that are unnecessary. If we took that to a national level, and so like, cause these other countries, it's their national government that decides, it's not their provinces, it's not their states, right? Do you think that that would help? Or do you think that we're just getting into like, this institution is so big. And now then we have like two people talking about it instead of a hundred at the state level. You know, Hilary, that's a great question, and I don't know how to answer it. And the reason is that I don't know how to answer is because America is so big, and each state have different issues. That being said, birth is universal. Pregnancy is universal. Um, you know, it, pregnancy and the right to choose is a human right. Right. Yes. So I want to say, yes, it can get complicated when we're going from state to state, but you know what, at the same time, yeah, sure. Like it should be national. I think it should be national that everyone gets to have a choice. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I kind of am leaning that way because I feel like there's so, there's like half the states, especially like in the deep South that are always sort of like behind everything. And if you at least pulled them up to the, to like a agreed upon standard of like, this cannot happen right? You cannot treat people this way, or there's accountability. I think that that would help. I don't think it's going to fix everything, but I think it would help. I I have to agree with you. Like right now, it is a lot of midwives, a lot of people are, are really working together, trying and fighting and, and just trying to bring to light that the state of Georgia, that midwifery is illegal. Mm. I midwives mean, are illegal, so they, they're trying to, they just met last week, a big group, you know, of midwives to try and figure out, like, how can we change policies? So, yeah, I think, like, if something like what you are asking happened, then you wouldn't have to have each state fighting, you know, or having such a, di a discrepancy in laws and in opportunities. Yeah, I mean, it, it's wild to me, like, that you could just have to move in the middle of your pregnancy and then all of a sudden go from like a home midwife to now you're stuck in this hospital and mm -hmm. and not just for the the woman but like for the imprint like we were talking about like how that changes the trajectory of everything 
for that child and that mom. That will be like another whole podcast. But right. I, I, <laughs> I know. <laughs> even in Georgia, you know that Georgia in Atlanta, they have such a powerful birth community. And so in so many amazing midwives. Um, but if you're not working with a nurse midwife, you're really working with someone that is doing their job illegally. But people want it. People choose it. So do you imagine if you're like, okay, I'm doing this, but I know that even though that it shouldn't be like that, I'm bringing my baby to the world in an illegal way. Yeah, which is, yeah. The thought that it would be illegal to bring a baby into this world. And yes. is yeah. like, it's so laughable, right? Like, yeah, you just keep writing those laws over there. It's fine. Like, I'll just be over here giving birth, you know, it's, it's nuts. So aside from like, if you have the means giving to midwifery associations to help with lobbyists and continuing to have these conversations with your friends and bring them up at like uncomfortable times, like dinner parties, that <laughs> more people are talking about this, right? Yeah. Instead so of like, hush <laughs> Yeah, sipping your wine and you're like, so let's talk about cesarean rates and home birth. Right. <laughs> but that, um, that's the whole problem with like fertility and birth, right? Like it's like this like dirty secret that we don't want to talk about. That's not dinner table conversation, but it's like, hello, this is how we all get here. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, so how do we help? So I want to say spread the word. So you're going to see in, in your town, I bet that is a midwife and it's going to be a midwifery association. We always need people to call the representative, you know, because they listen. So the more people that call all that ride to your local representative asking for any for anything, you know, like usually if it's a law, we're going to put it out there or any kind of help that we want. Um, support, support the midwifery community. Also, you know, educate yourself and, and have a voice and say, it is okay. I am going to wait until 42 weeks. No, I don't want that procedure. I get to choose. So even having that mentality of like, you're a team, this is your body. You get to choose, not the doctor tell you, oh, I need to do this or I need to do that. Because again, you know, like right now, something that we know and that we do that always midwife do like now you talk about delay cord clamping now they only delay it for like two minutes but for hospitals that's like new but it's because people ask for that right or even skin to skin so i want to say to people ask for those things request for what you know that is your right to have that is your normal um to have yeah. And be specific, right? Like, so when you say delayed cord cramping, you don't mean 15 to 30 seconds. You mean two minutes, unless of course there's a red flag with your child, right? <laughs> or you want skin to skin, but you you want that as soon as you take the baby out of the cesarean, if you have to have that, not after you do the APGAR tests on them, right? <laughs> uh, absolutely, Hilary. And then, you know, going back to the mortality, uh, the the crisis with the black uh, mortality crisis. Um, it is a lot of us doing the work. It is a lot of us, you know, understanding how can you support uh, 
the black, the brown community, the community of color. Um, sometimes there are people that do not have access. Sometimes it's people that do not have the education. So I want to say, you know, I always encourage, and I know you you do this because I'm proof of that. Um, if you have a practice and you can help, you know, dedicate a part of your practice, a program, anything that can be of service. You know, it doesn't have to be for free. It doesn't have to be pro bono, but that create the access to a community that that maybe they don't have that. You know, uh, take trainings, go to places, get to know your community, um, get to know who are the other providers, who are the other midwives, who are the acupuncturists, who are the doulas. And so that you know specifically what's happening in your community and how can you help, like you're doing today with me. I think that's awesome if, advice. Yeah, if you don't know what is the problem, how can you solve it? You know? Right. Yeah. And I think unfortunately, Hillary, that's a big, that's a big problem that I'm seeing that it is a crisis, right? And a lot of people either do not talk about it, or you have people that really do not have the education and then come up with a grant. You know, let me give a grant to Marshall Time, let me give a, another grant to the hospital you know, and then the people that are doing the work, like people like me, I cannot pay a grant writer, you know, then you have like the people that are really directly working with the community, but we don't have the resources that we need to be able to help our own community. Right. I mean, I have two grant books over there. I don't think I'm a dumb person. My eyes glazed over and rolled in the back of my head. Like I, like, so if you're listening and you're, maybe you're not medically inclined, but you do know how to write grants or you're a lawyer, or, you know, maybe you're just an executive at the company that you're like, this company has money to give. Like, I would encourage you to reach out to these different organizations, especially the, the midwives, because when I tell you that midwives have nerves of steel, like, I mean it, like I have, I have sat behind uh, OBs and been in, in surgeries and I have seen home births and land the midwives. I, you all have this like superpower where shit can be going wrong. And you're just like, it's okay, mama. Like you're fine. Like you keep this mom perfectly calm, right? Like you are not showing it. Like, like your nervous system is so fucking tuned. And I also feel like you're at the bottom of the, the trickle down of where the money goes. Yeah. And like if we could get more money there. And like you said, if we could get more women into the field of midwifery, right? Yes, 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 we need more midwives, we need more resources. And like you say, yeah, anything, whether that is your expertise, whether that is, hey, I have a hundred, you know, gloves to donate, a hundred boxes of gloves, you know, like anything that we don't have to buy, that's money that we keep to help a community. You know, Hilary, like I've been so blessed, like a few years ago, I had, which actually I'm part of that organization now because of that, I have the Hispanic Chambers of Commerce call me during the pandemic and they said, you know, we heard about you, we heard what you were doing, tell us more. And I said, and they're like, we don't have a lot of money, but we have a thousand dollars. Would this help you? Absolutely. I was yeah. able to buy equipment to help a full family and give them a discount 
um, so that I could work with them. So anything helps when people get involved. Because like when you approach me about this, right? We were talking about that we were talking, we're like, I want to talk about the problem, but I want to talk about the solution because it is a lot of people doing beautiful work, even doulas community doulas, you know, even donating a doula and saying, hey, um, how many families are you helping this month? Did a family that we can support, you know, like you don't have to give money blindly. I don't, you know, I don't believe in that either. But I, I bet that in each community is someone doing something. Yeah. And I know that we have to wrap it up here in time, but I have two two questions if you'll give me your insights. One, can you tell people the difference between the cost between a home birth and a hospital birth in generalities? Because I feel like it's staggering and people need to know. Yes. So depend on the state that you are. So here in, in, in this part of Florida, the average of a whole care prenatal a prenatal birth and postpartum is going to be around $6,000 in a hospital. It can be anything from 8,000 to 60,000, 80,000, depend of what you need. So if you got IV fluids, if you had an epidural, if it was a complication, it's going to add up. Like we are a package, right? We get the things and nothing, you know, we offer those things. We offer IV, I mean, we don't offer an epidural, but I want to say, yeah, like in Florida, it will be that. I know in Wisconsin, I work a lot in with Wisconsin is 4,500, so 4,500 opposed to, again, you go to the hospital and by the time that you are finished, you don't know how much you end up uh, paying. Mm-hmm. But it's going to be, I mean, again, anything from, I mean, and yeah, a lot of insurance covers. So that's why this is information that a lot of people do not know. Or I hear someone saying, oh, I have a copay of only $4,000, right? Only that. And I'm like, well, like your whole birth with a midwife will be $6,000. Um, so yeah. And you get postpartum care. <laughs> and you get, yeah. And this is including like we offer up to from four to to five visit postpartum care we're on call for our clients any problem visit we're going to see them so uh, the hospital yeah is usually you know you leave you have postpartum a day or two after you're there and then you come back by six weeks and that's about it so mm-hmm. yeah it can be a difference of anything from ten thousand dollars to eighty thousand dollars depend on what was the procedure that you had if it's an induction yeah if it's an induction, if you had to go to emergency just for being in emergency, you get charged. Oh yeah. No, my having entrepreneur insurance, like it's just such a racket. I can tell you, we do not have low deductibles, but like, I remember my business partner's first birth, like going to her house post-birth and her fighting on the phone with the insurance company, because they said that the insurance would not cover it. Cause she didn't elect the C-section because it was a, it was an emergency. And I was like, what? <laughs> So yeah, I always tell people like really check and read your insurance if you're going to go the hospital route and make sure that you understand the difference because I I don't think people understand that they can get in some cases better care for less money. <laughs> Absolutely. Or yeah, and if you don't have insurance like in my case, I have something called the AC Access Clinic where I, cause it's a lot of people because of what you were saying that have opted out of having insurance. I had a family yesterday that the dad is a teacher in a public school system. So they only cover 
his insurance. If he want to have his family, which is his wife and two kids in his insurance is 1500 a month that he have to pay. So a lot of people do not have insurance. A care with me, including labs is 1800. Yeah. And a lot of times people don't understand too, that they can go to um, midwives if they offer it like yourself, you offer well women care, right? So my law is a little, the law is a little bit more restrictive here. I'm licensed in California and I'm licensed in Florida. So in California, I can offer well woman care here. What I can do is like, if I have one of my families um, that come, I can continue and do their pap. Yeah. So it is well woman care a little bit differently. We don't call it well women because it's not, it's not like that in the, in the law, but yes, like we can offer other things that you can see with a midwife that can include parts of what is covered in, in, in well woman care. Okay. Last question is <laughs> when you brought up something important that I think is like the number one thing that I hear when someone wants a midbirth and they say, but my partner would never let that happen. And I'm with you. Like, if you like your reasons, great. But I don't really feel like my personal opinion is like people pleasing, even your partner for something that big, but that, that that's me. And that's my bias, right? It's not my marriage. Mm -hmm. So what would you say to somebody that you can see that they really are thinking they're going to be more comfortable with a home birth, but they don't even want to have the conversation with their partner. Me personally, because I've encountered that, um, I don't longer do home births with people when one person is on board and not the other one. So what I've done through the years is if I have someone that called me and speak with me over the phone and say, hey, I want this, and they shared that, but I don't think my husband insult. I said, Let's come together as a consultation and I don't take anyone in care where both people are not on board uh, with that. And you know what, Hillary, I have to say, not all the time, but I want to say 70% of the cases, once we do a whole consult and we offer it a free of charge, 30 minutes, an hour consult where we cover everything, including complications, everything, they end up being on board. They end up being on board or saying, I don't feel comfortable, but if that's your decision, then that's your decision. And I say, if your partner tell you that, then be empowered, you know, and say, this is your body. But yeah, like bring him in. Don't try to convince him. Just bring him so that he made the midwife. I and think that's partners. awesome advice. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So where can people find you if they want to touch base with you, ask you questions, get your services? Uh, beautiful. Yes. Or if anyone is curious, even if you're in another state, feel free to write me. Um, if you have any questions, if anyone is curious about being a midwife, I have Facebook. I have Instagram. The name of my practice is Uma Midwifery, U-M-A Midwifery. Um, and yeah, and I always answer my email is in my website, uh, in the Instagram. I myself check my messages and Facebook as well. And I, I will be very humble and very happy to talk to anyone that, that I can be of service. Oh, thank you so much for your time and coming on and, and answering all of my questions. And I just, I love you so much. And if I could have a baby, I'd want your name <laughs> to touch them first. <laughs> Oh, so. I'm gonna cry. No, really, thank you, Hilary, because this is the change, right? Like this, yeah. the, this is the th this is what we can do.
Yes. Yeah. So thank you to you and thank you to our listeners for giving us your greatest asset, which is your time. I really hope that this conversation has like spurred something inside of you and you will go have these conversations with other women and your partners and as many people who will listen really, because I think that women have an incredible opportunity right now to change the world through using our voices. And as Zul said, just practicing kindness in every way that we can. So thank you so much. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's content and found it useful. This podcast is a labor of love from an entire team of people. We would love it if you shared the wisdom that you just banked or left a review on iTunes. Reviews help women just like you across the globe find this valuable information when it's their turn to conceive. We would consider it the ultimate compliment. Bye for now.